Good morning. Here we are again. Good to be back. Good to be with you. Hey, you made it through the snow. You are a true Michigander. Actually, the roads were totally fine, so I'm not giving you too many points. Like, it was, it was bad earlier. It's not too bad right now. But I'm grateful that you're here. I'm grateful that we get to be a part of this series, this season together. And I want to thank you for joining us here. I want to thank you for joining us online. So many of you are joining in that way, and I'm grateful for you, thankful that we have this ability to gather in a bunch of different places, a bunch of different ways. If you are in Florida, I secretly hate you uh, because I kind of wish I was there. I wish we just had Center Church Florida campus already planted, but we're working on things like that down the road, <laughs> maybe. Uh, it's, it's funny because I, I think about uh, how many times I've sat in church and it's 1021 in the morning. About 1021 is the time when I'm sitting in my office and I'm beginning to ponder one of life's most important questions. What's for lunch? Exactly. Thank you. I've got some friends right here. Like they know me. I know them. Okay. Like I just think about that question because for me, I fall into the category and some of you, you've said this to your kids before. Some of you were born and your whole kind of modus operandi was, uh, I eat to live. Like you eat food to exist. Now, others of you are like me, and you live to eat. Like, that is your, the way you exist. And so February 1st, Michigan reopening dine-in. That's better than my birthday. I'm going to be honest. Like, I cannot wait. I'm going to be hitting a different restaurant, hopefully every night, if Lindsay and the budget allows. And so <laughs> we'll see. And uh, I remember one of, the, one of the funniest meals I've ever had was actually... Uh, Lindsay and I were visiting our, her family in New Jersey. She's from the East Coast, and we were there visiting for a weekend. But I knew this was a weekend I was going to ask Lindsay's dad, Bill, if I could marry her. So it was a big deal. We made the 13-hour drive down from where we were going to school. We spent the day Friday, and I said, hey, Bill, can I get lunch with you tomorrow? And uh, we've had lunch twice in my entire life, just him and I. The first time I asked if I could date Lindsay, and he probably knew what the second one was about. And so he's like, yeah, sure. So we hop in the truck the next day, we get to the restaurant, and it's a Mexican place, which I'm like, this is perfect. Like, not only am I going to uh, set my life on a new path, but I love Mexican food. I love spicy Mexican food. And so we get there, I'm scanning the menu, trying to like, get rid of these nerves, and my stomach is just turning upside down, knowing I've got to ask this question in a few minutes. So we're sitting there, and I said, I like spicy food, and I kind of subtly wanted to impress this guy. And so I said, I'll do the habanero burrito. That's what I got. Now, some of you know, like habanero pepper, when you just see it, you just know it's hot. Like this is what's burned in my memory about this experience. So I'm sitting there and the waitress asks the question. She's like, are you sure you want that? I'm like, oh yeah, I love spicy food. Like no problem, I'll take it. And so what I thought was gonna be like a light habanero garnish, Turned out to be a, a soaking wet habanero sauce all over my plate. And I'm like, dude, I can't chicken out now. I'm about to ask if I can marry this guy's daughter. So I'm sitting there. I'm forking my way through it. It is painful, friends. Painful. It was so hot. Every part of me wanted to just jump out and, and scream and just douse myself in an ice bath. It was awful. I'm about halfway through. And Bill orders like, I don't know, the most American Mexican thing you can ever get. I don't know, bean burrito or something that's just like no spice, basically no flavor. He's sitting there and, uh, and he's just like, he's eating through his thing and he asks me, hey man, you gonna make it? <laughs> like that, that was his question, like peeks up, he's like, you gonna make it? You're, str you're struggling over there. 
So finally, if I find my way as this waitress just keeps, she was incredible, angel from on high, bringing me pitchers of ice water just over and over again. I'm like burning in every single sense of the word, like my mouth's on fire. And uh, finally, eke out the words like, hey, can I marry Lindsay? <laughs> like I was not professional at all. And so we continue the conversation. Eventually, he said, yes, here's the reason I share the story with you. I think about that lunch. There was a lot of pain associated with it, obviously. But some meals, and you have, you've had these before, some meals mean more than just food. Like there's meals that you can maybe look back on. Maybe it's a birthday or significant anniversary or uh, your first lunch together uh, without the kids or your first dinner out as an official couple or whatever it is. Some meals just, they mean more than food. It's not about what you're eating. It's about what's happening. It's the moment. It's the significance of what's taking place. I look back at that, uh, obviously scarred, probably my taste buds are ruined from this said lunch, but I look back and say, that was the day that I asked Lindsay if I could have her hand in marriage, like her dad's blessing and permission to move forward. And I look back on that and my life obviously has been radically altered because of that one lunch. Your life, if you're married in the room, has been radically altered by some of those moments. And uh, I want to take you to a group of people in which meals had incredible significance for good and for evil. And the church we're going to look at is the church of Thyatira in Revelation. It's Revelation 2. It begins in verse 18. What had happened was that Thyatira had been built. It was an old military garrison. It was a city between uh, all the invaders and Pergamum, which we studied last week. Pergamum, this incredible city, kind of the lancing of the Roman Empire, this incredible place. And so our next stop on the journey after you go through that area is Thyatira. And Thyatira was a place in which basically these uh, groups of people, you could almost think of them as modern-day labor unions, would be, they were called trade guilds. And if you were a carpenter, you had your trade guild. If you were a plumber, you had your trade guild. If you were a poet or an artist, you had your trade guild. And you, you did life with these people. You thought like they thought. You worshipped the idols that they worshipped. You ate the food that they ate. You did the, the practices, uh, even down to like specific habits and routines and even sexual practices. All of these were like harbored in these specific trade guilds. And so what a trade guild would give you if you're a Thyatira citizen would be stability. It gave you job security. It gave you identity. It gave you agreed upon system of worship. And so every single month, these trade guilds would gather together and they would have dinner. But some meals mean more than food. Because at these dinners, they would often engage in sexual immorality with people they were not married to. They would engage in sacrificing specific foods, which would identify them with different gods, and obviously not the God that we worship. And so you'd sit in these meals, and as a Thyatira Christian, you would have to make a decision. Because some meals mean more than food. You'd have to decide, am I going to engage in this? Am I going to just tolerate it? Maybe take a back seat, but still be there? Am I going to escape and leave the trade guild and try to fend for myself out in the world? Am I going to fully embrace it and say, you know what? I've got to put food on the table. I might as well do this. Is God really going to care if I do this? Doesn't he know I'm trying to save my family? What do you do in that moment? What do you do when the decision is between relationships and your reputation, your work 
your money, your social status, what do you do when that's all literally on the table? What do you do with that? Because all of us are faced in our culture with decisions just like that almost every single day. Am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to follow my own way or my coworker's way or my best friend's way or my spouse's way? And what had happened, why Jesus comes down so hard in this letter we're about to read, is that these Thyatiran Christians had begun to just tolerate sin in their lives. Tolerate sin in the church, tolerate sin in their community, tolerate sin in the workplace. They had begun to, to buy into these trade guilds and just kind of full like, hook, line, and sinker say, we're just going to do this. We don't know any other way. And Thyatira was smaller than a lot of the cities we're going to look at, but incredibly influential. That's why this is the longest and most harsh letter we'll read this whole series, because Jesus knows they have influence. In fact, what had begun to happen in Thyatira spread throughout the empire. Now, as you looked at the map we saw earlier, Thyatira is about an hour drive to the Mediterranean and about an hour drive to Pergamum, the city that we were just talking about. But Thyatira was progressive. I mean, they had women serving in the marketplace, which a lot of Roman cities didn't have. They, it was a booming dye industry. In fact, Thyatira, I know I'm going to say something weird. <laughs> I'm going to mess that word up at some point. Just give me pre-grace. Thyatira Christians, uh, these, this community was a culture of doers. I mean, these were the blue-collar people. They were boots-on-the-ground type people. How many of you have worked third shift ever in your life? It doesn't have to be currently, but okay, so a bunch of you. These are your people. <laughs> these, they know your pain. They were hard workers. They were kind of the Detroit or Pittsburgh of the Roman Empire. This is Thyatira. And so look what Jesus says to this working class group of people who had begun to tolerate some things that they probably should have stayed away from. Verse 18, Revelation 2. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. This is what Jesus says in almost every letter. If you have your scriptures, you've already seen this. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance. And right now you're doing more than you did at first. Jesus is celebrating, saying, good job. Like you have made it. You, you've kept growing in your good deeds. You're serving the community even despite Roman persecution. And then he turns the tables on them like almost every letter besides one happens. And he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. And here's what Jesus indicts them with. He says, you tolerate, you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Now, I'm about to have a daughter. That name has never made our top three lists. Hopefully it's not making any of yours either, because this is kind of the Old Testament imagery for a prophet. This is a prophetess who throughout the Old Testament would lead God's people astray in a bunch of different ways, primarily through practicing idolatry, sacrificing to these idols, these pagan gods, as well as sexual immorality. I mean, some of the things that they would do in order to worship other gods, I really can't share in church. I mean, it's that graphic. It was that repulsive. And Jesus is saying, you're allowing these types of behaviors to seep into your culture as a community of God. He's saying, I have this against you. Tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. Now, again, this is kind of an image there's probably not a woman named Jezebel in the church at Thyatira. That would not have been a popular name in a church. But uh, it could represent a female leader in the community. It could represent a group of people who are drawing the Christians away from the way of Jesus. It says, you tolerate her. By her teaching, she misleads my servants, my people, 
into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. And here's the beauty of the grace of God. He says, I have given her time to repent. Time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. There's agency there in in the language. There's an ability to turn around. There's an ability to receive the grace of God. And this community or this person, Jezebel, had refused to receive it, had refused that I don't need that. I'm good. He says, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless, here's the opportunity again, they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I won't impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. He closes the letter with this encouragement. To the one who's victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What Jesus is doing here is not just calling out sin in the camp. That is definitely happening. He's also challenging the power structures at work in this community. And as you look around our community, there are power structures at work all the time. You may not be aware of what they are. Uh, You may not be cognizant of what they're doing and how they're trying to shape you and form you, but they're there. In fact, as you walked around Thyatira, even today, you can see ruins of the, the temple to Apollo. This was the third largest Greek temple in the Roman Empire. It was significant. Its its ruins stand in some ways still formed of what they built. This is the same temple, though, that Emperor Diocletian, this horrible person, evil person, set out on a persecution campaign, literally hunting down, killing Christians, entire families, to root them out because they would not pledge allegiance to the emperor. This is the situation in Thyatira. And Jesus knows that this persecution is underway, that it's happening. And that's why he's saying, don't let your influence get tainted. That's why he says Jezebel is not just influenced Thyatira. He points it out in uh, the verse of 23 that we read. He says, all the churches will know because all the churches were experiencing this negative impact that this small group of of either prophets or one person was allowing, allowing. And as I look at this letter, as I think about my own life, think about the community that we're in, I think there's a grave temptation. There's something that I think even Thyatira church people misunderstood that Jesus is trying to remind us of, is that Jesus is not after tolerance. He's after love, and love never settles. See, Jesus is not after just making sure everyone in your corner feels like you're all good and everything's nice and no one has to be accountable and no one has to be convicted of their problems. No one has to say, yeah, I'm broken or I have this part of me that's broken or I'm, or I'm wrong in this. It's, Jesus is not after tolerance. And I would dare say there's a temptation in culture to just be after tolerance. Just say, hey, as long as you do your thing and you don't kind of step on my toes, we're all good, right? Jesus is never after tolerance. Jesus is after love. His ethic, his greatest commandment is to love him and to love other people. He's after love and love never settles. 
That's why he doesn't pat Thyatira on the back for tolerating sin in their community and in their church. Because he's not after just tolerating and saying, what doesn't hurt is not going not to ruin you. I mean, you can move on. He's after love, and love never settles. One of the ways this crystallized for me this last week, I was reading an author and theologian named Preston Sprinkle, Dr. Sprinkle, and this is what he said. Uh, Dr. Sprinkle had these words to say, but they really did convict me because I was thinking about this letter. He said, Jesus came into our world as a man to embody grace not just talk about grace, to embody grace. He left us, that's you and me, the church, to be the body of Christ, not a flock of parakeets that repeat Christian jargon, but the ongoing in the flesh presence of his grace. We, not just me, not just staff, not just volunteers, not just when you feel good, not when you feel bad. We, the body of Christ, the church, We are the evidence that God's grace is more than just words because tolerance is cheap. Love is hard. Love doesn't settle. Love doesn't say, yeah, it's okay that you're doing this when we know it's objectively and morally corrupt to do something. Love is not content to say, yeah, I know there's some evil in our our community, in our culture, but it's not affecting me. I'm not a part of it. Why can't we just let it go? It's just easier to not confront somebody, to not confront injustice or something wrong. And so I sat in my office throughout this week and just said, God, would you, would you speak to me about what are some areas of my own life and maybe our lives in which we really wrestle with this, the difference between tolerance and being after love? And he kind of brought four to mind and permission to step on all of your toes right now. You're giving me permission? Okay, here we go. So this probably will. And if you have an email, send it to peter at centergr.com. Uh, he will be happy to answer in the future. Here's, here's just areas, areas we need to be real about. This first area is racism. Racism. We live in a predominantly white community, and uh, we may not bump into this a lot, but we have brothers and sisters who are minutes away from us, or maybe in our community, who are hurting and carrying a burden we don't know anything about. And tolerance would say, well, it's okay. You don't, I mean, you had a black friend in high school. You're good. Like, you can move on. Or you don't tell the jokes, or you don't maybe think the thoughts, but there may be parts of you and parts of me that really wrestle with this. And I think tolerance is saying, hey, it's okay. Everyone's behavior is okay. You can be a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but love doesn't settle. Love and, and grace, the, the way of Jesus doesn't allow us to just detach ourselves from a whole section of the body of Christ and just say, well, I mean, it's not that bad. I don't make those jokes. I don't share those memes. I don't talk that way. What we do if we're not settling, if we're truly loving, we just don't allow racism to exist in our community. And we begin in our own hearts, our own homes, say, we are not going to allow this evil from the pit of hell to be pervasive in any of the circles that we walk. We just don't allow it because we're not pursuing tolerance. We're not just pursuing everyone feeling good about each other. We're after love. Number two, abortion. I think if we're honest, there is such a temptation. See, tolerance would say, let's just check the box. Let's just make sure that that we get Roe v. Wade overturned. I'm not saying that's wrong, but just, just to check the box legally. Let's just make it illegal. And tolerance on some level, even for Christians, it's a temptation to say, that's all we need to do. Let's make it illegal. But love doesn't settle, friends. 
Love doesn't say, let's just make abortion illegal, even though it's one of the greatest evils of our day. Don't get me wrong. And some of you have walked through that painful process right here in this room. I'm not undermining the process. Abortion is not just about making it illegal, but that means that the church, the people of God, the people who are Jesus people, we, we love people so well that we are the forerunners in adoption. We're the forerunners in foster care. We are the ones running to the most broken children of our community. We are making a, a abortion unnecessary. Not just illegal. Illegal would say, yeah, let's just check the box. Let's just make sure that we all are on the same page. Love says, I'm not settling there. Whether it's legal or illegal, I'm going to be the one. That's why we partner with community partners like Hand to Hand and like Hope Unexpected who are saying, we're not just going to be like hands off about it and wait for someone in Washington to do something. We're actually going to step in. We're going to get into the gap. That doesn't mean we fight for, stop fighting for justice on a systemic or government level. We do. But we decide we're going to not just settle for tolerance or, or settle for accepting what's common in our culture. Number three is sexuality. And all of you who have kids, you're feeling the pressure of this in our culture right now. You're maybe having conversations. You're like, uh, you are six. <laughs> Why are we talking about that? You're six years old. I didn't think I'd be coming home and having to deal with some of these things. But, but tolerance would say sexuality, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, it's okay, right? You've heard that. Maybe you've thought that. I've thought that. Well, this isn't hurting anyone specifically. I'm not killing somebody. But, but sexuality, when we just tolerate it, we just tell ourselves, well, this doesn't hurt anybody, or I'm just living with that person until I get married. I'm just sleeping with my, my, my boyfriend until we commit to one another. We don't end there because love doesn't settle. We say, actually, as the people of God, we're not going to settle for that. We're gonna actually going to push ourselves. We're going to challenge the culture. We're going to challenge one another to the highest degree of purity and faithfulness and true love for other image bearers of God. That's a place just to say, amen, amen, John. I'm just feeling that. Like that, that is, I just see that in our culture over and over again. We just miss God's way. We miss what he has for us, and he, he loves us so much. And I get it, to be honest, as I look at Thyatira and some of the things Jesus indicted them for, there's a temptation in this realm of our world with, with people who are sexually broken for the church to gloriously screw, this, gloriously screw this up. And we have. There's parts of our world that are completely closed off to the gospel because the way we've had these conversations is incredibly damaging. We talk about issues and we forget that they're all people. And if you're in the room, and I think a specific area that I've seen this in my own family, my extended family, if you're in the room and you wrestle with same-sex attraction, can I just say, I'm sorry. Man, we have just not done this well in the church, and I feel it personally. And some of you are wrestling through this, and you haven't told anybody. It's just going on, and you don't know where to turn. Maybe you don't even feel like you can come here. Can I just say on behalf of all of us, that you are welcome, that you are wanted, that you're important, and that Jesus sees you. You are valuable to the kingdom of God. We need your voice. And just like you, we are all sexually broken. We have proclivities and temptations and patterns that we are ashamed of, and God wants to heal every single one of us. But if we're just okay to tolerate it, we can never get the healing that we truly, truly need. We have to push farther and go to love. The fourth area is this, alcohol. 
See, alcohol is a tendency in our community. I kind of joked about this a few weeks ago, but I just, I think it's something that God is stirring in our community. It, I don't think Christians could just tolerate just saying, yeah, yeah, I, I know I got wasted, <laughs> but we're just having fun. Or I had a really hard week, honey. Can you just let me do this? Let me have that other drink. Let me go there. Let me do what I know is actually harmful to myself. What we do as Christians and as Jesus people, we just decide right here, right now, we're not going to be controlled or directed or guided and manipulated by anything other than the Holy Spirit of God. We say, God, you get to run my life, not a substance, not a drink, not a person, not a, I don't know, fill in the blank for you. We're just going to decide. It's funny, I was thinking about this. I've been in full-time ministry, vocational ministry for seven years, and I've never had someone sit in my office and say, you know what, I'm really glad I was drunk or else I would have made a great decision. <laughs> I've just never had that. I haven't had that. Or, hey, I'm just really glad that I did a ton of weed that day, and uh, I, I, I would have made a really bad or great decision if I had done that. Like, I've just never personally experienced that. Maybe you have. I don't know what your family's like. My family's not that way. I've just never had that conversation. Because lo but love never settles. We don't just stop there and say, let's just tolerate what we don't think anyone hurt, hurts anybody else. Because I bet if you're willing to interview Thyatira Christians and families in, in the church, they would say, these trade girls aren't hurting anybody. We need the stability. We need the meal. If we say no to going to that dinner, that once a month gathering, if we just decline the invitation, don't you know I'm going to lose my job? Don't you know that people are going to think I'm weird or old school or backwards or fundamental or whatever? You fill in the blank. And Jesus is saying, I'm not after tolerance. I'm after love. And love never settles. Love keeps pushing the boundary. I mean, let's be real. Imagine the day. Imagine the day Lindsay said, hey, John, we're pregnant. Like, we've been praying for this. It's a journey we've been on. We're pregnant. And I just said, you know what? I know all the things that are about to come, Lindsay. I will tolerate these next nine months with you. Can you imagine? She's not here because she's sick, but she's not here because I said that. I'm just getting myself off the hook for a moment. Like, but can you imagine if that was the next layer of our conversation? Like, okay, well, I know how much it's going to cost. I know you're going to want me to go to appointments. I know that your body's going to change. I know that you're going to have all these weird... I know you're going to send me to family fair at 9 p.m. for five cheese blend for your third quesadilla. I know you're going to do all those things. True story. <laughs> You're laughing, but that's real. I mean, that, this is, I'm just opening myself to you. That's real stuff. <laughs> but just imagine, though, if the conversation, that's what happened. I'm just like, you know, I'll tolerate these next nine months. That would be absolutely the worst thing to say as a husband ever. I've been sleeping on the couch for a long time. And that's how tolerance is. Tolerance is selfish at the end of the day. It's wanting to just everyone... Don't, don't touch me. I won't bump into you. We'll do, I'll do our thing, and it'll be okay. Maybe the world will turn out a, a good way eventually. But love is selfless because that's, this is what Jesus modeled, right? You remember the cross. This is, this is Jesus on the cross while he's being crucified by Roman guards, maybe some of the relatives of people that the Thyatirans were persecuted by. And he's saying, Father, just forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. Even on the cross, Jesus' bent was towards loving the people in front of him, enemies included. And this is why I think it's incredibly power, powerful. If you have your scriptures open or, or device to see it, 
in verse 26. Revelation 2, 26, this is how Jesus closes a letter. And this is what we read earlier. To the one who's victorious and does my will to the end, who doesn't settle, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter, dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You may recall some of these verses, and they're actually from the Psalms, this worship book. And Peter read from this earlier, these Psalms of David, King David, and other people. These, these praise anthems, really, to God, these prayers of lament and grief, but also comfort and joy and, and optimism, they're all in the Psalms. These are direct references back to the Psalms, and they all have to do with the Messiah, the coming kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying, this is coming again. I'm coming soon. Be ready. Time is running out. But friends, you can repent. You can have grace. You can experience my transformational love. But my kingdom is different. I'm not after just tolerance. I want your entire heart. Tolerance is not my highest value. Actually, love is. And then he kind of ends the letter with like the ultimate punch. He says, I will give the one, the one who's faithful, the one who sticks it out, the morning star. This is a Roman Empire reference through and through. Morning star had this connotation. If you had the morning star or you were related or connected to the morning star, it's this incredible image of supreme, divine, just pure authority and sovereignty. Literally, you can pull the stars out of the sky. And Jesus is saying, I carry that authority. Not Diocletian, not Nero, not your guild leader, not your president, not your boss. I hold the keys to life and to death. I, I carry the morning star, and I will give that kind of authority and life and power to you when you fully embrace me. And I was looking at just the beauty of the gospel story, even in Thyatira. You can see this over and over, this, this paradox between judgment and wrath and the coming kingdom of God. You need to be ready, but also grace and giving time to repent, giving time to turn around, to, to check your own heart and your motives. And I think about the gospel every time I reflect on it, and this is probably true in your life too. There's an element in which the gospel comforts us. And some days we need comfort. <laughs> we need the reminder that the grace and the love and the compassion of Jesus is ours in Christ. It's ours because of what the cross has done. It's ours because of what God has done for us. And there's other days where it will gravely offend you. It will convict you. It will challenge you. It will purify your motives. It will challenge your behaviors. It will challenge your relationships. It will in some ways, convict you about how you're loving your spouse. It will convict you about how you're raising your kids. It will convict you about how you're spending your money or your weekends. The gospel sometimes will comfort you and at the same time has a way of offending you and convicting you and challenging you. And if we fail to embrace Jesus' words, to not tolerate sin, but actually love and pursue Jesus through it, all of us may experience the time is running out. You don't, the, tomorrow is not promised to you or I. Time is running out. But if we decide to embrace his words, to learn from Thyatira's mistakes and problems and issues, you and I will experience a love that never settled at the cross. And what is almost more beautiful about it is not just will you experience his love personally, your spouse will experience 
that kind of love personally. The kids you are raising will encounter that kind of love personally. Your grandkids will encounter that love personally. Your annoying boss will encounter that love personally. The two or three people that you're praying for every morning to come to Jesus, to know God in your life, those people who are lost, who you want to see found, the people you want to see step into this tank, not this tank, that's, it's not there, in case you're wondering, but the tank, the baptism, like those people that you're praying for, they will experience his love personally. And in, in turn, you'll actually know how to love them like God loves them. It's an incredible thing. And so I want to end with just a very simple question. A simple question that will really mess you up if you take time to sit with it. It's the question of what would a fully loving you look like this week? What does a fully loving, not tolerating sin, not tolerating brokenness, not tolerating a broken or, or fractured relationship, not tolerating just doing life the way you've always done it, but a fully loving you that doesn't settle, that allows God to love you fully and to help you love other people fully, what would that look like? And what I want to challenge you to do, we're going to worship here in a moment as we close. I want to invite you just to close your eyes for a moment, just as a way to focus, not to do anything weird, just to, because I want to pray for you. But I'm willing to bet as you're sitting here today, there's probably an area of life you're saying, yeah, I'm, I'm tolerating some things. And I know it's wrong. I know it could be morally wrong. It could just be relationally wrong. I know I'm not, I'm settling for less than God's best or his love at work in my life. I want you to think about that area. And just right now, in your own heart, in your own spirit, whatever this means, to just let God in. Maybe some of those areas kind of on a broader scale that you need to let God into. Maybe it's a very personal, for some of you it could be a traumatic, for some of you it could be a challenging and, and hard to figure out situation that you're in. I pray, God, that you would speak into that area. Just let him in. So Father, we just, right up front, whatever that area is, whatever that thing, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a decision, maybe it's a meeting, we just surrender it to you. We open up our hands and say, God, would you help us to love like you loved, to not settle for tolerating sin and evil and injustice in our own lives, in our own homes, in our own communities. Help us to move beyond that to true love for other people. True love for you. So Jesus, I pray that you would speak that into my heart right now. The areas that are hard for us to surrender, the areas that are hard for us to reveal, to be vulnerable about. God, would you help us just to start with you? Open up to you build our lives in something eternal, something that really does matter. And it's your love. It's your presence. It's your work. It's your power in us. We ask these things in Jesus' name.